Pastor Xavier Reese, adding up the simple truths of God's financial plan. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. God will give you wisdom on how to spend your money, what not to spend it on, and you will have more. But listen, the giving of all we are to Jesus is because we are His. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. God's Word was meant to be more than a book on your shelf or coffee table. In fact, it's full of a rich history and truth that leads to true redemption. Today, Pastor Xavier takes us back to his study series of the Book of Hebrews, and in this message, he reflects on an Old Testament character that points to the future king who offers salvation to all who would receive it. He begins with the text for today's Simple Truths. Hebrews chapter 7 Verse 1 through 10, and the message entitled Melchizedek was a snapshot of Christ. In your years of being a Christian, I used to believe that Melchizedek was Jesus Christ. Because I heard many Bible teachers say that it was Jesus Christ. So I just, you know, and some say they didn't, so I just took a side. But the more I study the scriptures, the more I'm convinced he's not Jesus Christ, but a type of Christ. And let me give you the reasonings behind it. Notice first that Melchizedek was made like the Son of God. That means that one is the type prophetically and the other one is the anti-type, the fulfillment of this prophetic type. You have a type that points future to the anti-type, the fulfillment. So if Melchizedek was Jesus, a pre-incarnation of himself in the Old Testament, he would not be a type. He would be the reality. The anti-type and it would be a contradiction. He can't be the type and the anti-type. Okay? It's a contradiction. The type of speech ascribed by the word like is like the word as. It's called a simile. In other words, uh, many times we read in the scripture it says, uh, as a heart pants after the water brook, the deer, as so that there's a likeness so that you understand what's going on. That doesn't mean you're a deer, but there's a likeness, okay? It's called a simile. And so the description of Melchizedek in this verse simply reveals him as a type of the parallel idea of being eternal, like Christ, without father, without mother, giving the sense that he was not created. Not that he was not created, but giving the sense that he was not created. Without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, giving the idea of being infinite because he's a type. But made like the Son of God, revealing the clear purpose of the author. He is not Christ, but a type prophetic of the Son of God. Okay? Now, if you believe he's Christ, it's not going to send you to hell. I'm just giving the reasons why, scripturally. Okay? So, we can differ on things, and it's not going to affect your eternity or anything like that. So, here you have the perpetual priesthood of Melchizedek as a type of Christ, which is revealed by the history of Melchizedek. He reaches way back into Genesis and takes this little passage and just expounds it. That's a great exposition by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Notice, secondly, the greatness of Melchizedek. 
The perpetual priesthood of Melchizedek as a type of Christ is revealed by the greatness of Melchizedek. Look at verse 4. The greatness of Melchizedek is to be awed at. This is an exclamation about the greatness of Melchizedek. The word consider means critical, discriminating inspection. The word is used of a general officially reviewing or inspecting an army. The same word is used by the woman of Samaria regarding Jesus. I perceive you are a prophet, John 4, 19. Same word. Once again, we have an oratorical imperative. It's an imperative here. It's not a suggestion. It's not an opinion. It's an imperative. The call to examine is, listen, how great this man Melchizedek was. The phrase how great means how distinguishing one from the other appearing only two times in the New Testament. Once here and the other one in Galatians 6.11 where Paul says, um, you see how large a letter I've written to you. The only other time it's found. So distinguishing one from the other, one being greater than the other. Notice also in verse 2, Abraham gave a tenth of the spoil. The word spoil means the top part of a heap, the best, or the first fruits, giving us a very high view of tithing this early in the scriptures. Lenski, the Greek scholar, says the placing of Abraham at the end is to indicate the greatness of the patriarch and thus much more enhancing the greatness of Melchizedek. If Abraham is so great, how much more is Melchizedek? From the lesser to the greater, one of the principles of Hebrew Midrash, okay? And we've seen it over and over again. Now notice secondly in verse 5. The greatness of Melchizedek is compared to the Levitical priesthood. The sons of Levi who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law. This was a legal distinction, not a superior distinction. Very important. There's a parallel, but you can't carry it too far. All right? So the Levites were not superior to the rest. They were just called to that order. The Jews paid tithe to Levites, though they came from the very same loins of Abraham, recognizing the call and appointment of their office by Yahweh, respecting what God has called, respecting what God is doing. They being priests only, by their call, of priests and the priestlier, not any personal merit. Now notice thirdly in verse 6. The greatness of Melchizedek is contrasted to the Levitical priesthood. Melchizedek was not a Levite, yet he received tithes from Abraham, demonstrating he was what? Greater than Abraham. Tithing existed before the law. <laughs> Listen, tithing was voluntary. There was no law. It was not compelled. Melchizedek being greater blessed Abraham who had the promises. This again demonstrates the greatness of Melchizedek. Now they thought Abraham was great. In fact, he was great. He had the promises of God. But when you compare him to Melchizedek, he's left in the dust. He had greater authority. He had greater blessing. He typified the greater promise. And the tense 
is in the perfect tense due to the lasting significance and effect of these priestly acts. Now, the implication is clear at this point. Abraham was not compelled to tithe to Melchizedek by any law, but by his acknowledgement of his superiority. That's why he did it. You know, I grew up in Mexico City till the age of seven. And um, though I was young, I can remember so many things and um, uh, all the places I went and different things. And I used to see in the cathedral there in Mexico and other churches and that, how the priests would come out and they would always have the people bow to them and they would extend their hands so the peasants could kiss them, their hand and everything. And yet they were normal men with sin nature and committing sins like anybody else, and yet they abused their position. And I saw often these humble people who, who worked so hard and so hard for their money, and they would give the little they had to the priest. And it bugged me, <laughs> even as a little kid. There's always an abuse when people take a sort of priesthood unto themselves to lord over people. As if they are greater or closer to God. It's wrong. It is unscriptural. The believer gives to God in honor of God, recognizing God that he is greater than himself. And he gives from the heart, not legalistically, as you know, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 tells us. I think Christians have a bad view of giving to God. The majority of Christians. 2 Corinthians 8, 12, Paul says that it is within reason. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. God never requires of me what I don't have. He doesn't want to lay no big heavy trip on me. And then in 2 Corinthians 8, 13 through 14, he says, it is to be an equality. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there be no equity or equality. 2 Corinthians 8, 13, 14. So in other words, he says now everybody should be giving to God. As God has blessed them, it shouldn't be just a few and everybody else kicking back. And there are always those who are faithful to God and, and then those who are just takers. And I, I, I don't think it's a coincidence as through the 30 years that I've been a Christian that I see that the people who are always having financial problems are the ones who aren't faithful to God because they're bad stewards of their money. They never seem to have enough. They want more. They can't live in contentment. They don't live in priorities. But again, that's between you and God. But I see it through God's people. We talk about the world being money hungry. I think Christians have more problems than people in the world about money. The taking up of tithe is not due to the fact that certain men are greater than the rest of the church. It is simply God's way of seeing who loves him. In fact, when Paul is writing 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he's talking to the 
Christians to give to the poor saints in Jerusalem as a token of their love. Who wants to receive something when they say, here, take it? Hmm. It is God's way to provide for his work that he wants done through each church body. Every church should be self-sufficient. Whether it's 10 people, 100 people, 1,000 people in that church, they don't need to beg and they don't need to go begging on the radio or anything else. God will provide through the people that God brings if they're taught and they're obedient. It will be sufficient. Very, very important. It is an act and demonstration of my appreciation and my gratitude for all he has given to me financially, materially, and spiritually. Listen to Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. He says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, this has been corrupted and taught today. If you give one, God gives you 10. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking that God will give you wisdom on how to spend your money, what not to spend it on. God will give you wisdom on refinance, whatever it is, and you will have more. But listen, I've told you many times, right away when you got saved, you were 30 to 40% ahead because you threw your money away in booze and drugs and everything else. The giving of all we are to Jesus is because we are His. For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's, 1 Corinthians 6.20. You are bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men, 1 Corinthians 7.23. I'm a slave to no man. I'm a slave to Christ, to him, willingly. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. In other words, God will teach you how to be a steward that you will never need to borrow. You will learn, learn to live in contentment and stewardship, and you'll always be faithful to God. That's a promise. And I can stand before you and say, God is faithful. Because I didn't when I was in the world. And I can tell you as your pastor that God is faithful. Doesn't mean I haven't eaten just beans and tortillas at times. But it's okay. God's on the throne. He's not broke. Paul, in fact, finishes this whole section of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 by saying this, 9.15. Revealing how little we really give in comparisons to God. He says, thank be to God for his indescribable gift. You know what he's talking about? His son. After he deals with the whole giving, and it has to be from the heart, hilariously, not by compulsion, he says, but you know, let's compare it to what God's given. And everybody puts their head and walks away. That's the idea. We give nothing compared to what God gave for us. Hmm. The perpetual priesthood of Melchizedek is a type of Christ which is revealed by the greatness of Melchizedek. Notice third and last. The significance of the blessing of Melchizedek. The perpetual priesthood of Melchizedek is a type of Christ revealed by the significance of the blessing of Melchizedek. Notice first in verse 7, Melchizedek as a type of Christ blessed Abraham. This is very clear. It's a comparison here. The conclusion cannot be disputed. The word contradiction means a word spoken against or dispute. The lesser Abraham is blessed of the better Melchizedek. 
Melchizedek was of a great order, greater than Levi. Melchizedek was of the greater standing than Abraham. He leaves them both in the dust. He's not better than the prophets only, not better than the angels, not better than Aaron or, or Joshua, not better than Moses, not better than the first Adam. He's better than even Abraham, Levi. Notice secondly in verse 8, Melchizedek as a type of Christ was immortal. And this is the punchline. This is what's been running through here all along. This is another contrast. The Levites were moral men who received tithes, but in contrast, Melchizedek received tithes of Abraham and nothing is said of his death, though it is evident that he died. He was a man. The scriptures are a witness that he, Melchizedek, lives, a witness to his perpetual office, the highest claim of Melchizedek here. Having no mention of successor, having no mention of death, having all the types of the Messiah to come. For that reason, in verse 24, he says, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Now notice thirdly, verse 9 and 10. Melchizedek, as a type of Christ, is superior to the Levitical priesthood. He knocks them both off. The obvious observation is that Levi, in all reality, paid tithes to Melchizedek by implication. The simple explanation is that Levi, being in the loins of Abraham and being the progenitor of Levi, therefore, from the history of Melchizedek, by the greatness of Melchizedek and the blessing of Melchizedek, he is superior to both Abraham and Levi, being a type of Christ to come. Because Abraham paid tithes, but Levi was in the loins of Abraham. So in reality, Levi paid tithes through Abraham to Melchizedek. We've already been told over and over from chapter 1 that Jesus Christ, the high priest who sits at the right hand of the Father, having sat down and purged our sins. In chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, he has suffered and being tempted in every way, he's able to secure us. In chapter 3, verse 1, he has that heavenly calling, the apostle high priest, that we're to look and to consider. You can't get any better than that. Then in chapter 4, verse 4 through 16, then we are to come boldly before the throne of grace to find grace and help in time of need and mercy because he's there. And then in chapter 5, verse 5 through 6, he is a son. Uh, today I have begotten you. You're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Then in chapter 5, verse 9 through 11, having been perfected, uh, he became the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him, called by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Then in chapter 7, 11 through 17, if you read on down, you find that it is more evident that in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of fleshly commandments, but according to the power of an endless life, for he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a type of Jesus to come, but Jesus is the anti-type, the fulfillment. The Mormons claim their priesthood to Melchizedek. Yet it's a clear violation of Scripture. Christ is the only one that officiates it. There's no more priesthood. 
The promise of blessing to Adam and Eve was through the seed of the woman, as you know, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ in Genesis 3.15. No one else. The blessing of Abraham was that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed in Genesis 12.3. The Messiah would come through his lineage, through the house of David, through the tribe of Judah. The Jews, by the way, and the Gentiles were included And you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Jew and Gentile were included from the beginning. The blessing to all people would be by his eternal high priesthood. In fact, Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Verse 24. Untransferable. No successor. He officiates it even now and forever. No one can claim a priesthood. No one at all. For that reason, Paul the Apostle, writing to the Ephesians in Ephesians 1.3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, never apart from Christ. Mary cannot bless you. Peter cannot bless you. Saints cannot bless you. Statues cannot bless you. Mormons cannot bless you. Jehovah Witness cannot bless you. Buddha cannot bless you. The New Age movement cannot bless you. You can't bless yourself. The only one is Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the door. He is the shepherd of the sheep. He is the kingly, priestly, high priest. No one else. And for that reason, Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, all things, whatever God allows you to go through, like Job, he will be sufficient. All things. He makes no mistakes. And how you're to respond? In godliness. I am sufficient for my life. You could not live my life. I could not live your life. But you are sufficient for your life. You have no excuse for your life. I have no excuse for my life. I have been equipped for my life. In Christ Jesus through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's a pretty good promise. (laughs) Peter says, I'm a winner. Peter says, if I depend upon Jesus, my high priest, I can't lose. That's pretty good. The perpetual priesthood of Melchizedek is a type of Christ which is revealed by the blessing of Melchizedek. The perpetual priesthood of Melchizedek is a type of Christ. Revealed by the history of Melchizedek, revealed by the greatness of Melchizedek, and revealed by the significance of the blessing of Melchizedek. And he lays it out. He's done with Melchizedek. He's going to move on to the new covenant that does away with the old and the old sacrifices which is done away by the new sacrifice Jesus Christ Melchizedek 
was a snapshot of Christ. Get enamored with Jesus, not Melchizedek. Pastor Xavier Reese and a reminder of the one true Savior and God's plan for salvation. Today's message, Melchizedek Was a Snapshot of Christ, is available on CD for only $4. And by the way, this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is, Melchizedek Was a Snapshot of Christ. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, Nine one one zero seven, And please be sure and include the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This information is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. Can anyone really be sure they're heaven-bound? Join us next time for the answer on Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com